This is Healthy Business with Dr. Charles Moak. Learn how to help transform your business into a wildly profitable, well-oiled machine. Start practicing healthcare that not only benefits your patients and your community, but grows your business. I'm Cam Carmen, and I'm with Dr. Moak, and he has written yet another book, and this one is about the founding principles of Allure Medical and how he applies them. So tell us about the book, Dr. So I just wrote it Saturday, mm-hmm. Saturday from when we recorded this. And the inspiration, I'll tell you the story in a minute, but the founding principles are the, the founders, the owners, the original person, the original team, that would be me, had certain principles that they set out to start a business, to do an entrepreneurial business in our case. And they're things that they always kind of knew were pretty much non-negotiable, made decisions based on, even though they didn't necessarily articulate them. And we can look at three pillars of a business. There's core values, which has been popularized in a lot of different books that Jim Collins talks about it. And core values are things that are non-negotiable. And there's usually three to five of them. And they're typically things that are fireable offenses. If you don't follow them, you're not working here anymore. And also a company would preserve them even if it costs them money. So let's say one of your founding principles was integrity. Somebody that doesn't have integrity, even if they're a massive producer, would have to be fired. And you would never get into a business decision that could be wildly successful money-wise if it did not follow your integrity core values. And we have five of ours, and they're kind of ours. That's why I'm not going to talk about the podcast. You should figure out what they are. And there's a method to do it. There's an exercise called The Man on the Moon. It's popularized in the Scaling Up book by Vern Harnish. But imagine if you sent your best employees to Mars to colonize a new planet and to teach the Martians how to run your business. You'd pick certain people and you'd send them there. And then you write down what those characteristics were that made you choose those people. And that's a good exercise to figure out what your core values are. Then there's our culture. And Ben Horowitz just came out with a book called What You Do Is Who You Are. And the culture is the collection of behaviors that defines the culture of a team. So it's a collection of behaviors and the attitudes and, say, dispositions. And those aren't necessarily fireable events because people don't come there with them, but they have to be able to adapt to them. And they need to be, again, documented with a story behind them or something of that nature so people understand them. And then there's foundational principles. They were foundational mindsets of the founder that made the company successful in the first place that should be non-negotiable. And when they are negotiable, the company usually fails. And we never documented our foundational principles. We did our culture, a training module for we do our core values, make that very clear. But I thought everybody just knew the founding principles and there's certain things I thought were non-negotiable. But as the company grew and I never memorialized what those founding principles were, people started bringing their own into our company based on what they thought they should be. And I'm really learning that a lot. If you're running a business or growing a business, if you don't define processes, even if you hate processes, which I hate processes, if you don't define them, they will be defined by somebody else. And one approach I took as a foundational principle or a company that everybody that worked with me knew it, even though I never talked about it, was when people have a medical condition that needs to be treated, we treat them regardless of their ability to pay. Okay, so if they don't have any money, we're going to treat them. If they have horrible insurance, we're going to treat them just like somebody with great insurance. And we have the ability to write off co-pays or deductibles if people are totally broke. It doesn't have to be exactly that strict, but I mean, we have the ability to treat people or people that don't have insurance. And if we don't treat them, they're going to put a burden on the healthcare system. We have the ability to take care of them. The Office of the Inspector General allows us to do that. Medicare allows us to do that. We can't advertise or do it routinely, but we can on individual determination do that. So I always had a system in place. That when people were broke, they have insurance, or their insurance wouldn't cover what we do, we would just take care of it anyways and work with them on an individual basis. We had done that for a long time. 
and we never questioned them. We never humiliated them. I found out that our company was using a collection agency after the fact. I thought I had outlawed this years ago, and I found out it started up again, so I did outlaw that again. I think that's wrong because we're not required to do that. But a foundational principle is that I was from the ER, and in the emergency room, I never questioned somebody's ability to pay to treat them. Now, I might use their ability to pay based on how I'm going to treat them. So, for example, if somebody has a pneumonia or an ear infection, and I know they need an antibiotic, I have many choices, and some are expensive and some are cheap. And I would talk to the patient about what they can afford. If they couldn't afford an expensive one, it would make no sense for me to write it because they can't take it. So it takes something as a lesser quality to increase compliance. And this is a decision I can make as a physician that I want to do as best for my patient, not necessarily what's the best drug possible. Okay. And that's a fundamental approach I took to healthcare. So then we start growing. We're in multiple states, a lot of different people. We had to start hiring people from the outside, even some consultants to start putting processes into our revenue cycle. One of the decisions that was made was that we should not be treating people regardless of the ability to pay and people that owe us money, we should not treat. And people don't have the money up front, we should not treat. And people with big deductibles, we should let them make a decision not to take care of themselves. And I didn't sense this, but it started in about October of last year. And I noticed our key performance indicators were dropping, but I couldn't figure out why. Like, why are we turning away more people? It makes most, what's going on? I was asking the teams, they were sort of vague about it. And then I found out that we had a process put in place by mostly people that either are new to us or hadn't worked for us for a long time or were outsiders that were given as consultant that they felt that the law said that we have to turn people away if they don't have money. The law has, says nothing about that at all. It affects the opposite. We're allowed to treat people regardless of ability to pay. And they also felt that we'd be financially better off if we squeezed every penny out of broke people. Where my thought always been is that most people have pretty good insurance. Most of them afford their deductible. Some can't. And we treat everybody the same dignity. But our outside teams said, well, let's train the team staff how to just focus on people that are great insurance and a lot of money. And the rest of them, just somebody else can treat them. What shocked me is that our staff started doing it because that threat of losing their job, they were told this is the new policy. And it's, I'm embarrassed by it, humiliated by it. And I can't believe it happened in my own company because I was getting calls when this, the deadline happened, which was the beginning of January. They're told from now on, they show up, they don't have money, turn away, they don't have the cash. So the day that had to start, the doctors and PAs and staff were calling me like, this is wrong, Dr. Mo. We're turning people away that, because they can't afford it. We never did this before. I'm like, what the hell happened? Well, this is what happened. And it's interesting how long it takes to unravel that and how rapidly it gets ramped up. But I dug into it. I did review the laws again. I was certain that what we're doing is perfectly legal, that we treat people regardless of the ability to pay. We're not required to turn people away. They don't have any money. And I had to start reiterating. I did a bunch of videos. I did every single office and made it crystal clear. I had to kind of shut down this other influence and separate some relationships. And we're back on track now. It'll actually make us better than ever because I'm actually making it really freaking clear that you treat people regardless of ability to pay that medical need. And going back to why did I write the book, how did they not know that? Well, some people did and they called me and that's what got my attention. People out of state actually didn't say anything. They just followed the rules and really drove their businesses in the ground, which we've had to rebuild. But I was going to the movies with my son, Michael. I want to see Bad Boys Forever, I think it's called Bad Boys Forever. It was a lot of fun. And I said, hey, Michael, what's with this turning people away that don't have money? He goes, well, we're not supposed to do that, Dad. We know that. But we were told by this department that it's not legal to treat people that owe you money, which is BS, but that's what they're told or something of that nature. I said, well, how'd you handle it? He goes, well, we had a guy, for example, that had Medicare and he had no copay. So he would owe us 20%. It's really expensive, this particular procedure. And he had sores on his legs. And we knew if we didn't treat him, he might have gone to the hospital and it's a lot more expensive. He taught us that. So we went ahead and treated him for free. We didn't bill his insurance. If we billed his insurance, he'd have a copay 
And we know we're not supposed to treat people that have a copay, that they can't afford their copay. So we just decided to treat them for free, which is actually a bad business decision. But at least it was a good founding principle decision. You treat people regardless of ability to pay. So I realized, okay, here's my son. He knew it. And his team decided, you know what, we're just going to do something that doesn't make sense, which is treat people that have insurance for free when we can take the insurance because they didn't want the backlash of not collecting the copay. And that put me into action and got me energized and excited because I saw what the problem was. Never really communicated the founding principles to new people. We didn't have a good method for it. But the people who have been here for five years, they know it. They never question it. You know, we did stem cell therapy and we've treated people that are paralyzed for free because they can't afford it. Because obviously they can't work. And we have people that have to pay for it because they can afford it. And it's a lot of money. And here this team decides we're going to treat for free versus not treat them. And even though we could have charged money. So it did let me reset things very, very fast. It is crystal freaking clear to our teams now. But now we've got to memorialize it in the book, in the processes. They explain. There's, there are some steps to writing stuff off or to treating people for free, some documentation. But it's really limited. And it's not hard. And Medicare has made it very easy for us because Medicare's goal is not to make broke people broke. The reason they have copays and deductible is very simple. There's a simple reason that most people don't understand. They don't want people doing kickbacks. They don't want people doing sales on the reduction of copay to draw people away from a better hospital. So let's say you have two systems. One can say, well, what is routinely wide wave your copay? People might make a financial decision versus a best doctor decision. So they did that specifically for that. And another thing people don't know is that if hospitals treat people regardless of the ability to pay that have Medicare and the patients who they see can't pay their copay, the hospital can actually turn that debt into Medicare and they will pay it. So Medicare is the friend of doctors. I mean, I think sometimes people like complain about them. Right. No, the copay was a simple process to keep people from being unfair, to have a financial advantage. And Medicare will take care of you if you do treat indigent people. And make it spell very clearly. Now, we never asked Medicare for the money, but I wouldn't. We're trying to save healthcare and we're just fine with it. I can do the same thing Medicare does. Medicare says if your patients can't pay for it, we'll do it. It's like, so lie. I'll do the same thing. So if our patients can't afford it, you know, we're going to help them. We're going to figure it out, payment plans, reducing it. The thing is that the foundational principle is that not about how to get the money, but it's about we will treat people that need it regardless of their ability to pay. It came from my background as ER and my fundamental ethics. And it turned into an administrator might say, well, they owe the money. So technically you need to harass them with the bill collectors and I basically ban that process. So it was written out of a colossal failure that almost happened, a near miss, but then I defined our other founding principles I had known about and people work with me knew, but we didn't really memorialize them in terms of a book or a process. And now that's being done. I know you had said about 62% of all bankruptcy involved medical debt. Yeah, isn't that disgusting? So most people that don't get sick, they can handle their expenses. But a lot of times people have like a 20% copay. If you go get a knee replacement surgery, physical therapy afterwards, have a minor complicate, I mean, it's $80,000. How do you, on a fixed income on Medicare, handle a $16,000 bill? You can't. Right. So it leads to bankruptcy. Now, in that case, it might be accepted. I told you Medicare actually can recoup it mm-hmm. from insurance. But in just general debt, ERs, non-Medicare patients, you have Blue Cross, and you can't pay the bill, same thing happens. So Medicare is actually altruistic in it. But when you get really sick, it could be $100,000. 20% is, is a big number. And if you're on fixed income, that just winds up bankrupting you. And we are not required as doctors to take people to court. We can individually determine if they can't pay it. That's perfectly legal. I think that was misunderstood by some consultants we used and they're dead wrong. I'm an expert on this now because I had to refute what they were saying and make it perfectly clear to my staff that we're doing is not only legal, but it's a minimal standard of care. And it's our 
ethics and as a founding principle. But 62% of bankruptcies involve medical debt, and we are planning to save healthcare. But we're not going to do that by making broke people more broke, and we're not going to do that by bankrupting anybody. Right. Just a brilliant way of thinking. So thanks for sharing your thoughts with us, Dr. Moak. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Healthy Business. We'll see you next time.